Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Hey, I'm Curtin and I'm alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is July 12, 2018. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor and so forth. I sponsor guys. Uh, I have a home group, which Chris just announced. Um, for my home group, I'm the alternate GSR for my home group. Um, I'm also the uh, workshop chair for District 66. That's the district in this area. Um, and I did say I sponsor other guys. So I try to stay, stay active and, and be part of AA uh, and my home group. And I want to thank, I see a lot of my home group that showed up tonight. So thank you for being here. Um, all right, I'll get, I'll get started. You know, I grew up and grew up and uh, lived in Berks County my whole life. So a lot of you people are here probably like, that's pretty boring, huh? Um, Berks County is, but I mean, as a, as a kid, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I lived out in the country, uh, family life, uh, mom and dad, I had an older brother, younger sister, um, nothing to do but kind of hang out with my brother and sister. That's all we did. Uh, there wasn't really neighbors around, stuff like that, a couple down the road. Um, there was some abuse in my home, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest about my, my whole childhood and stuff. Um, my mom was abusive in that relationship. My dad was a drinker. I can look back on it today and say, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. At the time, I didn't see that, but being sober myself, now I can look back on that. Um, drinking, um, I remember at 12, there was this little corner cabinet in the kitchen, and my dad kept like Windsor or Canadian Club or some cheap-ass whiskey in there, and uh, you know, I would see him sip or have a mixed drink out of it or whatever, and I remember just, going in there just like I wonder what this is you know grown-ups drank it at parties and stuff and whatever so I took a sip straight up on that and I was like wow oh, this is disgusting um, I really did that's like like at 12 years old um, so I didn't dabble with it much then uh, when I turned 13 um, I started getting the other stuff so I started smoking pot at 13 that's part of my story I mean we grew it up in the woods I mean it was homegrown I think everybody back then was doing it um, so that was, you know, part of my story. That's what we did, you know, a bunch of rednecks out in the woods building dams and growing homegrown in the backwoods, you know. Um, my brother and my sister, uh, my sister was three years younger. My brother was a year and a half older than me. Um, so living here, my brother and I did a lot together. We were really close as teenagers. Um, we be began to drink, you know, together, party together, had the same friends together. Um, started my brother being a year and a half older also knew older guys and stuff like that so we were starting to be able to get you know beer when we wanted to drinks when we wanted to other substances when we wanted to um, but one of the chores around uh, our house was we heated our house with wood so like on weekends my dad and I would go out and cut trees and split wood and whatever and I kind of I don't know how it started. I think he maybe might have bribed me with a six-pack. 
but I was like 15 and we'd go out in the woods and, and uh, cut wood and split wood and whatever. And he would take a six pack with, and I remember like maybe the first time he said, do you want a beer? I was like, yeah. You know, and I felt like that was a connection with my dad and I or whatever. Um, and then like the next time he asked me to go split wood, I was like, yeah, he's taking beer, you know? And then I do remember that feeling at that age like after that second beer that feeling you know that we all we all looking for it's just like that ease and comfort as dr silkler says in the book i was just like wow um and then there was one there was one other time and i remember this is we went to cut wood and my dad didn't bring any beer and i was like what the hell now looking back i think my dad was I don't know if he knew, like, hey, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, but I really think my dad was trying to cut back on his drinking at that time because there was some some relation stuff at my house. But that's needless to say, that's pretty that much time I went to cut wood with my dad, you know. Um, that's not funny, but it, it, it is what it is. Um, so, I, like, I'm around 15, so now we get into, you know, it's more like a weekend thing, and I'm doing it every weekend. Where are the parties at? Where can we get stuff? Where can we get alcohol? Um, about 16, I grow a mustache. I'm like the only dude around who's got a mustache. Um, so I'm the guy that goes in the liquor store. Um, I'm the guy that goes and picks up beer. You know, Kurt, I got a fake ID too because some places would ID it. But after the third or fourth time, they, they saw the ID. You know, my name was Kevin then, by the way. Um, that, was, that was my ID. Um, so yeah, this dude got to know us at the one liquor store. I won't give away towns and stuff because the place is still there, even though that was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, whatever. Um, but I would go in and, and get the beer and stuff. Um, so it became more of a weekend stuff, but I was looking forward to the weekends. Um, where are we going to get beer? I started working at a, a place, and I can say this name because they demolished the place um, up on Penn Avenue, it's called Speedy Sandwich Shop. I went to Wilson, so I could walk there. <clears throat> and uh, at that age, I could stock the beer cooler, but I couldn't serve people. So I was like 15, six, I was 16, because I was, I was driving. Um, so a buddy of mine worked there, him and I, and we, we used to party and do everything together, but um, we could stock the beer. So they would have these like specials. And I remember one was like some kind of Schmidt's anniversary beer prep or whatever, but it never sold. So they put it back in the cooler in the back. Like they couldn't resell this stuff. It was supposed to be picked up by the distributor. Well, that was the stuff we, we'd steal. Like when I was working, I'd go back and pop one, drink it, and hide it back in the case. And, uh, you know, that became like a regular thing at work, you know. Um, at one point they split us up. They wouldn't let the two of us work on the same shift. It was, it was not good. Um, and the one night I had to take the trash out and uh, I grabbed a six pack of Heineken bottles and I set it by the dumpster when I was taking the trash out. <clears throat> and the next day at lunchtime, a buddy of mine ran down in his car. You know, I, ho I hop out, pick up the six pack and I think I'm, I'm good, you know? I didn't realize that the, the woman who like cut up the french fries during the day, well, she was there and she saw me. So we go out and drink this six pack and I get back to school and I get to call the principal's office and hear my boss 
who owned the place, not only boss, but owned the place. My mom, um, my father are all sitting in our principal's office, called me out on me, caught me. You know, I apologized, all that stuff, to pay for it, whatever. But I didn't even think twice about it. Didn't even think twice about it. You know, it wasn't, like, it was no big deal to me. But they really gave me, I mean, my boss let me go. He was like, dude, just come back to work, don't ever do it again, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you know, I, now I look back and, you know, you know, I stole from him. Not only did I steal from him then, I was stealing as I was working. You know, I was going back there and drinking the beer and whatever. Um, okay, so get to my like my junior year, junior year in high school, and uh, things weren't good at home. Um, not only with the stuff that's going on with my my mom and dad and whatever, but I didn't want to be there, and I was partying, and uh, I wouldn't come home for like days. I'd actually stay at a buddy of mine's house. Uh, there was no cell phone, so you're not calling anybody or whatever. Um, we got into other other dry goods and I wouldn't I wouldn't come home for like days sometimes a week uh, and I would show up back home and you know my mom would try to make things all right and whatever but I didn't want anything to do with her um, I was just looking out for me what I thought was what I wanted to do you know um, didn't worry about her peace and serenity at that point in time in my life I was like you know looking out for number one and uh, <clears throat> so Consequences started hitting pretty hard, uh, like my senior year. And my junior and senior year, I can tell you this, I didn't walk into school without being higher stone. Not one day. Um, every day, I would do something before school, during school, after school. Um, my senior year, uh, trying to think, uh, I got out of school half days my senior year for workmen's. They left me out half a day to go to work, whatever that was called, I can't remember anymore. And I only worked like three days a week, so the other two I'd be out, you know, carrying on and whatever, drinking, drinking with my buddies. Um, consequences started hitting that senior year, though. <clears throat> in April of that year, <clears throat> a buddy of mine and I and two other people were in a car and uh, rolled the car over on its roof. Uh, the roof came down. Actually, I was sitting straight up. The car went down nose first on the roof, smashed my head, got a, a vertebrae in my back. The 12th thoracic vertebrae was compressed. Ended up in the hospital. So I'm in the hospital, got to be in there for a week. And, you know, they're, they're drugging me up with uh, pills. And my friends are coming in to see me. And I'm like, give me some alcohol. Bring me something in to the hospital. So they were going to McDonald's and, like, dumping out the soda cup, filling it with whatever sometimes it was beer whiskey whatever and bringing the cup into me and i was you know doing that and pills in the hospital i'm like i'm just turned 17 like 17 years old um and they brought other stuff in for me try to keep it to just my drinking but i was i was doing anything i mean i was one of those guys at a party by the way if you'd walk up to and say take these two things i go what were they you know i wouldn't ask you know in today's world if you hand me something I'm like no nah, what is that you know but that was me so uh, I got a back brace on. It's my senior year uh, of high school. Um, Memorial Day comes around, so it's a month later. And I'm going to this uh, Memorial Day party. And my buddy pulls up on his motorcycle. And my dad comes out and he goes, where are you going? I said, going to this party. He goes, stay off the motorcycles, please. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, I'll be fine. Um, went there, I got all drunk up. 
two o'clock in the morning, crashed a motorcycle. So I got a back brace on, okay, riding a motorcycle. This is where I'm at now. Back brace on, riding a motorcycle, drunk, flip it, almost kill myself. I thought I was dead when it happened. I actually rolled over in the bushes and I looked up at the sky and it was quiet. I felt no pain. It was dark and I went, I'm dead. Until I heard my buddy rustling around to pull me out of the bushes, you know. Um, broken collarbone, road rash, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I'm calling my dad at like 2.30 in the morning saying, can you get me in the emergency room? And of course I lied to them saying, you know, I, I fell off a, a deck and rolled down the steps or some shit. But you know, I got, I got road rash and you know, so my dad knows what happened. Plus the motorcycle's all busted up. <clears throat> my senior year, um, that was the first year uh, for my school that you had to take finals uh, to graduate. Um, I took my finals laying on a, a cot in the nurse's office and my guidance counselor was asking me the questions. You know, still didn't stop me. I still didn't get it. I mean, I, I just didn't get it. So I'm, I'm laying there and uh, I didn't think I had a problem. This was normal. I'm just having fun. Um, my guidance counselor, actually, he used to get his booze anyway. That's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> he would ask me the questions, you know, on this, uh, this final. And it was multiple choice. He'd be like, blah, 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 blah. And what do you think? I'd say, D. And he'd go, oh, A. You know, so he's filling it out for me. I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't have trouble with school. But that, at that point in my life, yeah, I was having trouble with, with just life. And, uh, yeah, so that was high school. Um, I got out of high school, got a job. Of course, the job I got into, the factory I worked at was nothing but drugs. Drugs and alcohol. We'd run out at lunchtime, we'd do drugs, we'd do alcohol. I started selling substances there. Um, at one point in time, this is early 80-ish is, I don't know if I can put a finger on the date, time or whatever, even year, um, but there was a big push on getting drugs out of Berks County and um, they started nailing people in Berks County and the guy that I was getting it from um, he got hit he got put away and they started going I don't know if he talked or whatever but they started going down the food chain and um, I was in that food chain and um, when I found out these other people went away or were picked up or whatever <clears throat> and the work environment when it was in and everybody knew who was doing what there, I just went ghost. Um, like I said, there was no cell phones, there was nothing. I just went poof. Um, I called my mom at this point. And by the way, she kicked me out right after graduation. Forgot that part too. Came home one day and all my clothes were in my 72 Peno with a note on it. Don't come home. You know? So, anyway... I'll go back to my story. So I, I went ghost and I called my mom back up and I said, I'm in trouble. And uh, she was gracious enough to bring me back into the house, but she laid down some guidelines as she knew where I was and what I was doing and how I was doing it. And uh, quit jobs, went to another job, um, thought that would change things, the whole change your environment bullshit. And I went to, uh, um, I went back into roofing because that's what I did for a period of time. And uh, that wasn't good, man. Um, I really struggled with, I was trying to stay sober. 
I was trying to stay clean on my own willpower. And um, it wasn't working. I mean, I struggled for a while with that. I don't know, it was about two years, probably, in and out of using, not coming home. Um, there was a, there's a restaurant now that's shut down. It used to be Dempsey's on the Lancaster, Lancaster Ave and Route 10 there. <clears throat> we used to meet there in the morning when I was roofing for breakfast, and I'd be out somewhere 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be like, oh, shit, I'm just going to go park in the parking lot and sleep in the car. And uh, they'd pull in in the morning, knock on a window, get me a cup of coffee. And I'm like 19 at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, off the work I'd go and just, it was just the same thing every day. So, uh, trying to be mindful of my time here. Um, so at some point there, my mom's very religious. I'm just going to throw this out there because it's part of my story. And, um, she got me going to church and that type of stuff. And I, and I, I stay, I'm going to say this, I stayed abstinent. For a period of time with that and you know it worked for me at, at that point um, my girlfriend who became my wife uh, met her my senior year I don't know why the hell she hooked up with me my senior year I had a back brace and a broken collarbone I don't know I know it was up with that but anyway um, you know we wanted to uh, get serious we we're gonna get married um, I was staying abstinent I, I knew I had a there was something there. I was just never right. I don't, I don't know that. I didn't know that then. I know that now. I, I just, something here wasn't right. I just didn't fit in, you know. Something was wrong. Um, and uh, so I had to get a job, and they P-tested, so I had to stay clean on that anyway. So that, that lasted a while. And um, we got married, um, started having kids, the whole, you know, American dream crap. Um, I stayed abstinent, I'll say, for a, a period of time. And uh, I don't know what. One day I was just like, I'm going to stop and pick up a case of beer. I don't even know. I can't even, I don't even know why I did it. It was that mental blank spot that the book says. But I wasn't even working a program. But I just picked up a case of beer. Um, and from that period on, you know, I, I had beer every day. It was just, that was my thing. Uh, we, I'd come in the garage door and I had a refrigerator in the garage. Before I even went in the house, I'd stop, open up, have two beers, and go, all right, now I can face the world type thing. So that went on um, for a few more years. Um, sometime around 97-ish, um, because of my drinking and my, my stupidness, uh, uh, I cheated on my wife. And uh, of course that caused a lot of hardship at home um, of course I was only thinking about me um, I continued my my drinking and running around and whatever and uh, you know she left me rightfully so um, we had two little kids at the time and for a period of time we kind of tried to make it work and me being honest I wasn't trying to make it work I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I mean, she might have been trying in my, in my heart today. I didn't try. Um, maybe it would, could have been salvaged, but I wasn't there for it. So, uh, <clears throat> try to move along here really quick. So we did, we did stay active, um, you know, because of the kids, we, we talked. There was a period of time we 
half-assed, I half-assed tried to make it work. Um, in 2000, she was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, I moved her back in then and thought, we'll make this work. Um, but again, after a short period of time, I was back drinking and running around and whatever. Um, she moved She moved out after having her chemo and stuff. Got her own place. Um, kids, we, we, we split the kid duty. Um, I mean, we, we, we remained friends. Um, I actually took her in for her surgery for the, the cancer. And, you know, when she went, she passed away in 05. I'll just jump ahead. And um, when she passed away, it was, it was really difficult. Had two kids. And, um, of course, I went back to drinking more. Instead of being a dad and being there and kind of raising two kids, I'm out drinking at the bar. Um, and there was a local establishment that's real, still close to my house. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'll join there. Um, it's a private club. It'll keep me busy. Um, they have a pool and all kinds of stuff to take care of. <clears throat> so I, I joined that, became a trustee. In a short period of time, I was the president. Um, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. They gave me keys to a place with two fully stocked bars that I could get it in 24-7. So my, my drinking really took off from there. Um, I don't want to go through that whole thing. I could talk for another hour, and I don't want to do that. Um, but I did. I had, uh, I had access to alcohol anytime I wanted even on weekends, like maybe I ran out and the liquor store was closed, I had a key to go in there and get it. Um, even though I was an alcoholic, I was honest, I always replaced the bottle. Um, but I would go in and take a bottle, you know, I'd take it home with me. Um, at this point now, I'm starting to um, kind of hide, hide it around the house a little bit. Um, one little piece I missed there, about a year after my, uh, my wife passed away, uh, I met a girl. Um, and we hooked up and it took a little bit of time for us, for me to introduce her to the kids and stuff and whatever. And God bless her. She's still with me today, um, through all this shit. But, um, now I'm starting to hide stuff around the house because she's starting to question my drinking and, um, you know, hiding in the freezer, hiding in here, hiding, hiding it there, uh, getting up in the morning. This is, now I'm going to try, try to get to the end of my drinking here, but I get up in the morning sometimes and uh, I couldn't make it to work. So I'd get a shower. I'd get dressed as if I was going to work. I'd get in my car. I'd go down to this club establishment and I would park around back so she couldn't see my car on the way by. At 6 a.m. in the morning, I'd be in there drinking because I couldn't make it through the day. Um, like Bill's story, you know, getting up in the morning and two bottles of gin just to get him going before he could eat breakfast. That was me. Uh, I mean, I really, really relate to that. I relate a lot more to Dr. Bob's story. Um, I mean, if I was a, procto a proctologist, me and Dr. Bob would be identical, but I'm not a doctor. Um, but at that point in time, I knew there was a problem. I was lying to my doctor, uh, my liver enzymes. Every time I go to the doctor, it was, they were too high, they were too high. Um, and I started playing the game, okay, I got a doctor's appointment next week, I'll cut back. And I would go in and they were too high anyway. Um, so I went in and I, t I lied to him about my drinking, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, said I, I was suffering from anxiety and depression and he gave me Xanax. Perfect. So, like Dr. Bob's story, now I'm taking sedatives and drinking. Okay. 
Um, that was really my bottom. I started missing work. I remember one day um, taking, I don't know how many Xanax and drinking on top of it. I was actually seeing shit, you know? And I'm like, what am I doing? What the hell's wrong with me? I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I didn't know what alcoholism was. I kind of thought I have a problem because I'd have to drink it to feel better, but I didn't know what it was. Nobody ever explained what is alcoholism, you know? My dad told me, you know, see that guy under the bridge? That's what I thought an alcoholic was, you know? Um, so there was a point there where I came home one day, I didn't pack a bag or anything. Uh, I said to my, my girlfriend, her name's Robin, I said, uh, I'm going to rehab. And she said, what the hell are you talking about? I said, if I don't go now, I'm not going. And I just, something, it was God, I don't know what, something said, you need help. So I ended up at the Reading Hospital. They couldn't get me into rehab because there was no room. So I spent a five-day detox. They signed me up for IOP, all kinds of outpatient stuff. I got out of there after five days, and my brain told me, you're not an alcoholic. You just went five days without alcohol. You're fine. I called up, canceled all my IOP appointments, all that crap. I was drinking within two weeks. That went about six months, and I'm going to speed it up here. That went about six, six months, and... Uh, trying to think of how that one happened because I have three here so they're kind of mixed up um, but that went about six months and um, that was in January yeah it was January because that was July so it was Jan January kind of the same thing I was like oh my god I'm fucked pardon me I'm screwed I didn't you know the book says couldn't live with it couldn't live without it that was me and uh I grabbed the bottle, actually it was a bottle of Captain Morgan, because that was the only thing I had, and left and went to the hospital to check myself into rehab. And I walked around the parking lot of the hospital and drank that bottle of Captain Morgan straight up. I mean, that shit tastes horrible straight up, you know? That was just to calm my nerves and work up the courage to walk in the door. And I got in the door, went over to Reading Detox here, which isn't there anymore. And um, they got my history and convinced me to stay for a full 26 days. Um, it should have been 28, but my insurance is like stupid. They wouldn't pay for that two extra days. I don't know what that was all about. So I did 26. And um, the whole time I'm in, I'm in there, people are coming in, they're speaking and they're talking, they're telling, I'm learning about myself and all this self-knowledge stuff. And, and don't get me wrong, some of that's great. People, places and things, you know, I get all that. Um, told me to get a sponsor. I'm coming to meetings. I was coming here to meetings like 8.15, stuff like that. Um, they would ask, did you get guys' numbers? Did you get a sponsor? No, yeah, 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 I, I'll call them. You know, that was all bullshit. And I was, uh, you know, when people come in and, and, and speak, I would always be like, yeah, I'm not like him. You know, I had 60 guys, my wife left, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like him. You're, you're worse than I am. You know, that type of thing. So um, I did that rehab. Um, and honestly, it was, uh, I really thought about my relationship too. That was part of it. I thought I was afraid to stay and do 26 days thinking she's going to leave me. Um, and I talked to the counselors there and he said, well, if that's the case, then you need to rethink that relationship. 
So I made a phone call and said, this is what I want to do. And she said, you do, you do what you got to do. She's a freaking saint, by the way. I don't know why she's with me. Um, she said, you do what you got to do. And uh, so I stayed, I did 26 days. I get out, I'm staying sober. I'm not, I, actually I came here for like one or two meetings, walked in the door. Now, I don't know a sponsor, I don't know a soul. So I walk in the door, scared to death, and nobody to talk to. And I basically talked myself right out of going to AA within like three times of walking in this door, this building. And uh, now we go home and she goes, how was the meeting? I'm like, oh, it was, it was great. I didn't really know anybody there, which is bullshit. I didn't even walk in the door a couple of times. I just said, I'm going to a meeting. Uh, now I didn't go drinking, but I, I at least got out of the house. And um, that honestly was, it, it's like six months. It's like six months. Um, we were out somewhere and we stopped at a, a local restaurant. Actually, it's Flanagan's over in Lancaster Avenue. It doesn't matter. When you get something to eat and the waitress comes up and goes, can I start you off with some drinks? And I just went, I'll take a Coors Light. And she looks, across, looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I said, what? I just went six months without a beer. I can't be an alcoholic. There's that thinking again. And uh, I picked that up and within three weeks... I'm driving around with a bottle of vodka in my glove box. And that's, that's a fact. Um, I had to have a bottle in my glove box just to get around, you know? Um, there's all kinds of other stuff, but I, I would speak for hours if I, I told you about all the stupid shit and what alcoholism actually did to me, you know? Um, so I ended up back in rehab now the third time. So now, like, I'm an alumni. They got a, like a wing for me. So I go in, it's like, Kurt's room's over here. I just made that up. Um, but now I'm in, like, for the third time. And, um, you know, I, and so I do know people. And it's kind of like I go back in the third time and I see people I was in, like, two times ago. I'm like, what are you doing here? Hey, man, what's up? So, you know, it was just kind of that going in and out shit. Um, so I only did, like, five-day detox. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was talking to the counselor. And um, it was a Sunday night. <clears throat> I was getting out that Tuesday. And this is kind of a God thing. I'm not going to say kind of. It was a God thing for sure. Um, there was a group of speakers that were supposed to come in that Sunday night. And they canceled at like the 11th hour. Um, and one of the counselors there, which she's in the program. I know her. We're great friends today yet. I got to know her in there. Um, she gets on the phone and puts out a, a blast to on Facebook. I don't know how she did it, um, but she actually she's actually stopped me before the meeting. She goes, "Oh, these people canceled." She goes, "But I, I put out a blast. I think we're going to have people coming in." And um, so, the, uh, a gentleman. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll just do it that way for now. And uh, two women show up to do you know a twelve step and speak. And, um, of course, I've judged myself out of every other person I've heard speak. Every person. And um, so the women spoke. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever, whatever. And I'm sitting there actually thinking about getting out on Tuesday. And I'm, I'm just saying to myself, I'm fucked. If I walk out this door, I'm going to pick up. I have no way out of this. I, I mean, that's what I'm thinking already. I'm already thinking that, and I didn't even leave the building. I mean, I wanted to stay there, but they could just lock the door and kept me in there, 
I'd be cool, you know. Send the kids to visit me once in a while, I'll be cool, you know. Um, and this guy gets up and speaks, and um, he's telling his story, and, you know, he's a stockbroker and works on Wall Street, and I'm thinking, Bill, you know, from the book. I knew enough about that, whatever. And uh, he's telling his story, and, you know, now I'm listening to his story because now he's talking about how he used and what he did. And then one, one part of his story, he said, uh, and then it stopped working. That's all he said. And I went, shit. He knows. Like it was some secret or something. It was some, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But it was like God went, I don't know. He just, he said that. And I went, well, shit. Yeah, it stopped working. Um, so I went up to him um, after the meeting, talked to him briefly, gave him my phone number. By the way, he's, he's sitting here tonight. He's still my sponsor. So Tuesday, get out. Um, a little choked up. I get out. I call him. And uh, he doesn't pick up. But I leave him a message, and he calls me back in like two minutes. Um, we start talking a little bit, and he says, do you have a big book? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I want you to open the book, read page one through eight of Bill's story. So I open up the book, and like a good alcoholic, I read the whole chapter. But um, he wanted me to identify with that. I mean, I know that now. I didn't know what the hell I was doing then. Um, but I read that, and uh, I was like, shit, that's me. There were so many parts in that book, or at that point, that I would, that's me. That's me. Bill wanting to throw himself out the window, sash and all. I mean, I felt I wanted to crawl out of my freaking skin. I didn't want to be in here anymore. Um, that's how I felt. So, uh, met him that night. My first meeting was here in this room. I walked through that door. My first real meeting. Uh, met a bunch of real good people. Some of them are still sitting here tonight with me. Some of them came to see me tonight. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, and he got me working real, real quickly into the steps. Um, and at first I was like, and I asked this question. I was like, is AA a cult? Because he, he said, you got any questions? And I was like, AA cult? And then we explained cults to me and whatever. But he got, he got me moving in the steps right away. I said, just keep your feet moving. You know, in my, in my brain, I'm saying, what in the hell does this have to do with me staying sober? And most people, I think, would do that. He said, don't worry about it. Keep yourself moving. And he was there for me. Um, I mean, there's many times, I don't know why, why I'd call him. And he wouldn't just go, what do you want now? I mean, that's kind of how I'd have been, you know. But he worked with me through it um you know keep your feet where you're at just give me some of those simple things just to get me through those early part of sobriety but he didn't let off in the book and god bless him we'd hit kissinger every saturday morning 8 15 and we'd leave there i would stop at dunkin donuts and get coffee and donuts and go back to his office and then we'd spend an hour and a half two hours every saturday morning um until i got through the steps Sometimes we meet elsewhere, but most of the time it was on a, on a Saturday morning. So he was giving up his day, you know, for me um, to do that. And um, <clears throat> at this point, I, I still, I mean, reading the book, um, and today is still one of my favorite chapters. And, and I grew up, I didn't say this in my beginning of my story, but I grew up in the church, whatever, whatever. But still one of my favorite chapters is, you know, step two and going through we agnostics. I mean, I had this preconceived conception of what God was 
and that chapter really just opened up my brain to go, you know what? Maybe there's something bigger than that. And, um, you know, it's that, that just really, it's step 11, you know, prayer and meditation. That's a a really big part of of my life, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. So I did stall my fourth step a little bit and, um, you know, but when I started doing the fourth step and actually writing it down and putting it on paper and looking at it, I was like, shit, you know, you can have it all up here in your head and you can think you know what you think you know. You think you think you know until you put it on paper. And then when you start looking at it and doing the three columns and the fourth column where, you know, what was my part in this, that realization part, after I did like four or five of those, by the time I get to like the fifth one, I'm like, I already know what that fourth one is. Here I am again, you know, what was my part in this? And, you know, you start to see those patterns of my life and what I did. Um, did the fifth step um, with my sponsor and, you know, that was a little scary, but don't be scared. As a matter of fact, I've done a couple now and actually it's, it's cool. I actually like doing it now. It's like, let's get rid of, let's get rid of this shit. You know, and um, I didn't walk out of there, you know, my first fist step, like floating on air, like the Dalai Lama or some shit. But, you know, it worked. Um, went right home. Um, and the book says take an hour, take your book down from the shelf and spend an hour. Like I must have put my stopwatch on thinking this is some magical thing. I'm going to do exactly 60 minutes and I'm going to be cured. Um, whatever. Uh, just had to throw that in there. You know, but I did, I did my, you know, six and seven, got working on eight right away. And, um, I, I did stall a little bit on that. Um, but I know that, uh, I was willing to do it. <clears throat> I was willing to do it. Um, good thing about, and if you're working on like eight and nine step or whatever, um, and you read it in the, in the book, um, you know, I consult, I think I've consulted my sponsor on every amends before I made it. Um, some of them were like a 11th hour amends too because there was a couple of them that um, didn't make it say on my list or they didn't even make it on my fourth or fifth step. But I was sitting in the meeting and um, someone said something and I went, holy shit. And it just came up. And um, so I, you know, actually I met with my sponsor that morning I think it was the night before and I met with him that morning and I said hey this came up sparked this in my mind about my dad it's like my dad never came up on anything because I just thought my dad was the best you know we had a great relationship and whatever um, but what, what I didn't realize or even think about is even though we had a good relationship I stole my dad's peace and serenity all the times I was out there running drinking drugging not coming home and whatever me being a father now, looking at what did I cause my dad? I know what I felt like and feel like when my kids would go out and not call home and, you know, I'd be laying there all night thinking about them, what, what the hell. And the old story, yeah, they're laying in a ditch along the road dead, you know. That's what goes through my mind. I'm like, holy shit, I did the same thing to my parents. Um, now, my dad passed away in 99. So that was a, a graveside amends. Um, and I still go out there once in a while and, you know, just sit and bullshit with them. 
Um, I know he's not there, but um, in spirit he is. And uh, that was one of the ones that just popped out of nowhere. Um, a couple of men's though, I just want to touch on that were really, really big is um, my sister was one of my first and uh, I'll lead up to it. She, I called her up and said, I want to make a men's tour, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, well, um, next Sunday's Easter Sunday. Would you just go to church with me and we'll do, um, we'll do uh, the men's afterwards. I don't think she even knew it was a men's. I think she just, I, I wanted to talk to her, you know. And so it's Easter Sunday and I'm like, screw that. I ain't going to freaking church on Easter Sunday. Um, so <laughs> Freedom From Bondage was my home group then too. I kind of switched in between now back, whatever. But we met here on a Sunday evening and uh, my sponsor comes in and I didn't talk to him, but he comes in and he goes, so how'd that go today? Did you go to church with my sister? And I went, no. And I don't even remember how I responded. I responded some snarky response. I, I even had to apologize for it later, but I was like, almost like, F you, you know, I, I didn't say that, but it was kind of just a snark because I knew, you know, whatever. And I remember him turning around and saying to me, well, how free do you want to be? And I went, shit. Um, so that next Sunday ended up with church, my sister, and I made mats with her that uh, afternoon. And, uh, you know, after doing my part, um, my sister opened up and said, um, you know, Kurt, we were just, we were afraid you, we were going to bury you like dad. Uh, my dad was young when he passed away. And like I said, you know, today I can say he was an alcoholic, didn't take care of himself. Um, and she said, I was, I was afraid for you. Um, after all that happened with, you know, Gwen passing away and the kids and my drinking and the club that she was I didn't know that but she was carrying that burden around with her and uh, just me opening up to her allowed her to say hey she, I mean, I've been carrying this shit because of you you know and uh, we had a really good conversation um, and we just we were always close and there was some money issue that happened and I was just like we cut off our relationship for stupid stupid shit and uh, and this I don't, I don't I'm gonna say this because uh, the money issue came up and I, I said to my sister I said you know what I'm done I don't want the money back I don't care that I loaned it to you I'm done with it we're brothers and let's just let it go um, like two years later she calls me up on the phone one day and she goes hey I'm at work she goes hey I'm coming coming through your work where are you, what are you doing and I said why? She goes, I'm coming through. Do you have a minute to stop? Can you stop outside? Well, I'm a smoker. I said, I'll meet you in the smoking room. She pulls up out front and comes over and hands me a check for the money. So she was making her amends. Something that she was carrying around with her. And I already had let it go. I was like, I don't give a shit. I don't want it back. Just keep it. Um, and that's how I looked at that. I mean, she was carrying that. And I allowed her by opening up a relationship to get rid of that shit that she was carrying. Um, another real good one was uh, one of, probably one of the best is uh, I told you about my uh, you know my wife and uh, she had passed away from cancer, so I had to do a graveside amends there. And I wrote it all down, of course, read it with my sponsor, and we might have reworded it a little bit. I, I'm not don't quite remember, but um, I was like. You know, I got to do this. And at the same time, 
I'd already made amends to most of my close family um, by that time. And uh, so I went out to the cemetery and it was, I made my amends and I sat there and I was like, you know, I'll get an answer. Um, and my amends were pretty deep and uh, it was like a spiritual moment just sitting there, you know, like the sun and the wind and I'm not gonna say birds landed on my shoulder and shit, but I mean, it was just like a, it was just like a calm, quiet, and I was in a different place. And, um, and there's another piece to that. Um, so I left there and I've been wanting to make amends. I actually asked God, I said, um, I need to make these amends. Um, you know, give me the strength to just go do it. And so I did the cemetery. And I call him my stepson because it's just easier. I haven't been able to hook up with this kid. It's just like we keep missing each other, whatever, whatever. So I left um, the cemetery and came home. I pulled in the driveway. And I wasn't home a minute. And he pulls in behind me. Nobody else is home. And I got a twofer that day. I'm just going to say that. I, I got an opportunity to sit down with my, my stepson and... You know, that, that was like all of my kids, you know, I carried around this shit of what they thought of me or how I acted or what I did or whatever. And then when I sit down and go, you know, dad did this, blah, 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 blah. And they're looking at me going, that's not the way I saw it. That's not how I saw it, dad. Now, there was some bad shit, don't get me wrong. But the majority of the stuff was all stuff I made up in my head that the bad things I did um, so I mean making those, making those amends were, was really a, uh, an awesome part and you know what living in, in step 10 I try to do it every day I don't I'm not great at it sometimes um, the biggest thing that keeps me out of trouble I'll tell you this is pausing if I can pause keep my mouth shut take a second God remove this Think about it, look for direction, maybe pick up the phone and call somebody, um, resolutely turn your thoughts to somebody else. That keeps me out of making a lot of amends. But just keep my mouth shut. Um, and sometimes, I'll not, I'm not gonna say 100% of the time, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, I'll get an answer sometimes. It's like, hey, you know, how about this? You know, and I look at it from a different direction or a different angle. Instead of thinking, well, you're stupid, you asshole, why'd you do that? That's what I'm thinking. But if I, I shut up and just be quiet about it, sometimes I, I get an answer to say, well, you know what? Did you ever think that maybe they're looking at it? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So anyway, I, I'm going to jump back quick to that amends to my wife. So it was sometime later, and I was still carrying some, some guilt about it. And I was just really just, you know, praying and being quiet. <clears throat> and I'm not crazy when I say this, but, you know, she spoke to me and said, it's okay. I know you wouldn't have done that if you knew what you know today. And that was the answer I got. Um, you wouldn't have hurt me if you knew you were hurting me. Back then, I didn't know I was hurting them. I mean, something maybe told me I was, but I didn't care. You know? So I, I got an answer to that, to that one. Um, uh, spiritual stuff, okay? I guess I got at least a couple minutes for questions, Chris. Yes, no? Sure. Okay. I'm going to get into this. 
um, Levin Steph really allowed me, and my sponsor is really great at pointing me at books, um, literature, reading to other, or listening to other speakers, um, going places, doing things, talking to other guys, and I'm really talking fast. But I mean, I I, I, my, I have a really pretty solid spiritual um, deal. In the morning, I get up. I never knew how to pray. Page bottom 85, 86, 39. Read that. I started doing that. I, it's not to the book today because I've kind of evolved um, to something different but I still use some of the steps now I think about my day I ask God for direction how can I help somebody else blah 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 but it's a little different I do some meditation in the morning and I would not think of walking out my door without prayer and meditation wouldn't happen um, and then carrying the message I'm here tonight I try to stay active in uh, in AA try to sponsor other guys as much as I, I can um, that's all I can say is man if you're if you're if you're new in the program and you're looking man get yourself a sponsor there's no way in hell I could have done this myself um, I tried my willpower a few times ended right back where I was um, thank God for AA and you know my sponsor and people who want to step up and help so uh, that's pretty much my story in a nutshell um, so, thanks for coming. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.